Uh, and if you've got uh, that uh, passage that Anne read for some Romans in front of you, that would be very, very helpful to me. It's Romans chapter 7, uh, and you'll find it uh, starting at least on page 1133. 1133, uh, Romans chapter 7. Uh, but before we uh, get into Romans, uh, I was uh, reading earlier this uh, verse from Psalm, Psalm 119. Uh, the psalmist says, I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. That's a great prayer to pray, isn't it? Let's uh, pray that as we uh, look at these difficult verses from St. Paul. Uh, Lord Jesus, we, uh, we love you. Uh, we want to serve you. We want to know how we can serve you better. And yet that experience that St. Paul talks about is only too real for us. Uh, we know what we should be doing. We know what we want to do. And yet we seem unable to do it. Uh, And we pray that as we look at these verses, these verses that have caused uh, many godly Christians to to ponder, uh, that you would indeed give us understanding. Uh, Give us understanding uh, that we may live uh, and uh, know the life uh, that you bring. So help me, especially as I uh, preach this evening, uh, pray that anything that is not from you would be forgotten and all that is from you uh, would be recalled and would do us good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Great. Let's, uh, let's dive in, shall we? Well, here we go. We had to, Alan took the first half of Romans 7 last week. Uh, I've got the second half. Uh, so uh, we'll see how we go. Um, is your home a mess, I wonder? Some people are always living in perpetual mess. Uh, if it wasn't for my wife, that's the state I would be in, I suspect. Uh, I wonder if you're somebody who needs to de-junk uh, did you know that you can, uh, you can, of course, for a fee, you've got to, to pay them, you don't get this for free, of course, uh, you can employ uh, people who call themselves professional organisers, uh, who can come to your home and, and declutter it, uh, get rid of all the rubbish that you've accumulated over the years, go through all the, kind of, you know, the, the, the cupboards, get rid of the clothes that you've been meaning to take to the charity shop, and you know, the, the files and the paperwork that go back years and years and years, you don't need it anymore. Uh, they will go through your house, clean it up, organise it and sort it all out just as you'd like to be so you can have a fresh start, you can, uh, well, hopefully not just then fill it up with more rubbish, uh, but can be set free to kind of live a life that uh, you want to live. It all sounds pretty easy, doesn't it? And pretty appealing. If only it was so easy to de-junk our hearts, I guess. We can de-junk our homes, but not our hearts. Uh, If we're followers of Jesus, uh, I guess all of us will be only too aware of the mess that lies beneath the surface. Uh, Filthy thoughts, pretty shameful behaviour, unpleasant words. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, um, described it uh, like this very famously uh, just before he became a Christian. He he described what he saw when he looked inside himself. He said this, "Uh, What I found appalled me. I was a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. We might not express it quite how he would, but I guess we would all agree with the sentiment. Uh, He's not alone in that. Uh, Sin, uh, what the Bible calls our rebellion against the God who made us and loved us, is a universal human problem. There's not a single person who can say they're not stained by it. Uh, Paul has been uh, setting out for us uh, in Romans the truth of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, He said to us back in chapter 6, we are dead to sin, 
but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, We've been released from the demands of the law to serve in that new way uh, of the Spirit. It all seems really clear, and yet there are some questions that still remain to be answered. If we really are dead to sin, why is it that we still struggle with sin every single day? Uh, More than that, is the Mosaic law really as bad as Paul seems to be making it out to be? Uh, And Paul, in this uh, second half of Romans 7, uh, tackles both of uh, those, uh, those questions. Uh, by delving into his own experience, his own spiritual uh, experience. We get a kind of chapter of Paul's spiritual autobiography here. He looks back to what he was, and he looks uh, around at what he is at the moment. Let's look at that second question first. Uh, Is the Mosaic law really as bad as Paul has been suggesting? And the first thing I want to say for us is that uh, Paul says that the law is good, but it cannot lead us to God. So the law is good, when it cannot lead us uh, to God. Uh, I say, if we've been following Paul uh, right up until now, uh, we'll know that so far he's been pretty negative about this law of Moses. Uh, Back in chapter 3, he said that it uh, it shows up sin, uh, but it can't save. Fair enough. Uh, He's even uh, gone further. He's argued that the the best thing that could possibly happen to us uh, is to be released from its demands. Uh, last week, we even saw him claiming that the law encouraged us, us to sin. It's pretty strong words, isn't it? Uh, and I guess uh, there'll be a number of Paul's readers, particularly those who were from a Jewish background, who might be saying to themselves, look, h- hang on a minute, Paul, hang on. Uh, isn't the law uh, supposed to be good? Uh, it's God's gift to us, isn't it? I mean, if the law is bad, then doesn't that mean that the God who gave it is also in some way bad? Uh, Paul is very clear. No, the law itself is not sinful. Uh, So verse 7, he starts, he's answering uh, their uh, their questions. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? He couldn't be any stronger, could he? Certainly not. It is not sin. Uh, Under the Old Testament, the law was given to the people of God, the Jews, and it reflected his character and the way in which he wanted them to. Uh, to live. And time and time again through the Old Testament, uh, God called his people to follow it. Uh, for a time, they, sometimes they were quite successful at that, but quite a lot of the time they weren't. They went away from it, and God sent repeatedly his prophets to kind of call them back to how they should be, to, to, to follow the law. Uh, the law is not sinful, says Paul, uh, but it's good. Uh, and the good, that goodness is seen uh, in what Paul says about the law's work. Uh, because he says that what it does is it exposes our sin. If we read on in uh, verse 7, he says this, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. Uh, it goes on to, to give a, a, an example uh, here, uh, the example of coveting. Uh, when Paul looks back on his life, uh, he can say, Uh, that uh, without the law being at work in him, he would never know what sin is. He wouldn't know that he had sin in his life, uh, and he wouldn't know uh, what that sin uh, was. I say he uses the example here uh, particularly of coveting. So at the end of verse 7 says, I would not have known what coveting really was if the law law had not said, uh, do not covet. Uh, If Paul was to covet, say, somebody else's donkey, uh, it would still be... uh, coveting, uh, even if he didn't acknowledge it. 
And yet he says, because the law told him that he shouldn't covet, uh, he has no excuse. Uh, Do you see, the law is good because it exposes the reality of our sin. We can't hide from sin because of the law. And yet there's a problem. The law is good, yes, but the sin inside us gets stirred up by it. So look on with me at verse 8. Paul says this, uh, But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. Without the law, sin inside is powerless. In fact, Paul even goes further. I mean, he describes it as dead. He says, for apart from the law, sin is dead. It's dead, it's done, it's gone with. And yet when sin is confronted by God's law, it suddenly springs back to life. It knows now which laws to break. It knows which lines to cross. Uh, And it stirs up in us even more rebellion. The law is good, but the problem with it is that it just stirs up sin even more. The problem, actually, says Paul, uh, is sin. Uh, We probably know something about this in our own lives. There's a great example, a famous example, given from uh, the life of St. Augustine, who's a famous Christian living many, many, many years ago. He wrote a famous book called The Confessions, where he detailed uh, his life before he came to know Jesus uh, and how how he uh, eventually came to know him. And he gives a famous example about how one day he and his friends uh, decided to break into somebody's garden uh, to nick some pears from their uh, neighbour's tree. Uh, And he goes into quite some detail about it. And he he admits it it wasn't really the pears that attracted him. In his own garden, he had some better pears. Uh, It was just the fact that it was there, and he could do it, and it was kind of something he shouldn't be doing, and it appealed to him. Uh, I guess we can all relate to his experience. Uh, I know I can. I mean, how often have we been previously completely uninterested in something, and then suddenly when we know it's completely off-limits, it becomes incredibly attractive, doesn't it? Uh, maybe we walk past a door that's marked no entry, and you suddenly want to think, don't you, well, what's behind that door? Why, why can't I go in? It'd be nice to go in and have a look, wouldn't it? See what's in there. Uh, it's impossible to resist having a little peek and seeing what's in it. Or maybe think of like having a letter. If you see a letter on someone's desk that's marked strictly private and confidential, only for the, uh, the eyes of the addressee, uh, instantly you want to know what's in it, don't you, and find out what the juicy details are. The problem is that the law provokes sin. Well, if that wasn't bad enough, it gets worse. Because Paul tells us that not only does the law provoke sin, but it also condemns us. Uh, Verse 9, Paul says, Once I was alive apart from law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. And I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandments, deceived me. And through the commandments, it put me uh, to death. Uh, That spring, that sin that uh, Paul thought was dead and gone with, which sprang back to life when the law came, then went further. It misled him. It deceived him, he says. Uh, It promised him all kinds of things uh, that it couldn't really deliver. Uh, which in turn then spurred him on to sin all the more, to keep going, keep going further, deeper into sin, which in turn uh, condemns him to death. Uh, verse 11, the commandment put me uh, to death. The law that God had intended to bring life by pointing him to the Saviour 
because of sin, instead uh, brings with it death. Uh, What should lead us closer to God, in fact, ultimately ends us taking us away from him. Why? Because it encourages more sin. And because God is a holy God, he cannot have anything to do uh, with people who are polluted by sin. Instead of leading us back to God as it was intended, because of the sin at work in our hearts, it leads us into deeper sin, further and further and further away from God. Uh, the, The law truly is holy, and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good, as Paul says here. But sin uses it to provoke yet more sin and to lead us away from God. And because it manipulates God's good commandments to bring death to us, uh, Paul says, uh, sin is ultimately revealed to be utterly sinful, uh, verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? So is, is the law, did the law then become death? He says, by no means, in all, but in order that sin might be recognised as sin, it produced death in me through what was good. So that through the commandments, sin might become utterly sinful. Through this manipulation of God's good and perfect and holy law, we can see the real rottenness of sin. Uh, If we ever doubted how ugly sin really is, we can look at the way in which it hijacks God's holy, perfect law to encourage us to sin all the more, to rebel even more than we are. The law, because of sin, becomes death to us. Yes, it's good, uh, but it can't lead us to God. I think many Christians uh, today have quite a confused view of uh, the Old Testament law. It's quite, uh, it's quite, quite difficult to see exactly where its place uh, sits in, uh, in, our, in Christian life today. And I wonder if maybe you recognise, I think broadly people fall into two camps. Uh, some of us uh, rejoice particularly uh, with Paul's words that we saw in chapter 6. We are not under law, uh, but we're under grace. And we particularly rejoice those. We take that as true, and it is. Of course it's true. Uh, but then we go from that, and we're tempted to kind of reject the law and see it as completely worthless. Or maybe we see it as even worse, as some kind of, you know, maybe we do take the line that some people clearly were taking in Paul's day. We're tempted to sort of write it off as being, as being bad in some way, uh, or, 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 you know, worthless. Uh, I think we should be careful uh, with that. Uh, Paul does not say that about the law here. He doesn't despise it at all. Uh, what he despises is the sin that takes the law and manipulates it and twists it in order to bring yet more sin, which in turn leads us away uh, to God. Uh, the law is God's gift to his people. Uh, it's a gift that reveals his character and his standards. Uh, and it shows us our true selves. It reveals the depth of our sin. We wouldn't know uh, what sin is Uh, were it not for God using the law by his spirit uh, to expose it. Uh, The example of Jesus. Jesus famously said back back in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Uh, Jesus fulfilled its demands perfectly. He was the only person who has ever lived in entire conformity to its demands. No one else could match up to that. Uh, More than that, He died the death that the law demanded. He died the full penalty uh, for the law, the penalty that you and I deserved. Uh, He fulfilled its demands perfectly in his life and his death. Yes, we are under grace, not under law. The Old Testament law does not have the obligation over us uh, that it once did. But yes, the law still remains holy and good. 
And yet, on the other hand, whilst there's some who uh, perhaps are tempted to sort of uh, despise the law, there are others who actually secretly are rather like it. Maybe they don't secretly, they are pretty clean, pretty, pretty pleased with it. Uh, maybe they uh, are tempted to, uh, to, to somehow look to the law for salvation. Uh, so I've met Christians before who've been very proud of the fact that they have kept the Sabbath in their eyes. Or maybe they, uh, as they see it, have never committed adultery or never murdered. Uh, so they think in some way that if they can kind of keep the law, that somehow they'll earn brownie points with God and get back into uh, his good books. Uh, sometimes maybe people think of it in a slightly different way. Uh, how many times have you heard, or maybe even attempted to think this yourself, you thought, well, if only our country would go back to the Ten Commandments, then we'd all be all right and we'd all be Christians and everything would be good. Tempting thought, isn't it? And it may well do us some good. Uh, but Paul is really clear here. Uh, yes, the law is good. Yes, the law is holy. But it will never lead us back to God. Uh, we can never be made right with God by simply trying our best to live in conformity to what the law demands. We, we will never make it. We will never match up to its demands. And we shouldn't think that if our country suddenly comes back and decides one day that it's going to keep the Old Testament laws, that, that will automatically lead it back to God. It won't. It might do it some good because they're wise words and that's how we're supposed to live. Only Jesus can bring us back to God. Uh, Only because Jesus died and lived in full uh, obedience to the law's demands can we know God when we trust in him. Yes, the law is good, says Paul, but it can never lead us to God. And we should praise God that through Jesus there is a way back to him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So that's the first thing that Paul says about the law. The law is good but it cannot lead us back to God. Uh, Let's move on to the second uh, half of uh, chapter 7. And I think we can summarise it like this. This is what Paul tells us. He says, The law is good, but it cannot make us godly. The law is good, but it cannot make us godly. Um, I guess of of all the passages in the New Testament, perhaps there's none that have caused so much disagreement among uh, very godly Christians uh, than, uh, than this one. Uh, Paul has been discussing the goodness of the law uh, and he continues now by showing us how even though the law is good, it can't fight sin. Uh, Christians essentially through the years have been, have been divided in three ways about what Paul is exactly talking about here. What, what's the circumstances that are behind this? Uh, essentially there's three views. Uh, so some Christians uh, believe that Paul here is talking about his life before he became a Christian. So this is Paul talking about a Jew who's trying to live up to the demands of the law and failing. Uh, there's lots of godly Christians who've taken that view, uh, and, uh, and you know, I think there's some, something in it. Uh, there's been another view, which was particularly popular uh, earlier in, probably in the earlier part of this century. It, it came about through a, a Christian convention held in a certain little town in the Lake District, uh, that I won't name, uh, which was the idea that Romans chapter 7 is essentially about a a Christian, so it's somebody who is a Christian, but who isn't living in the light of all that they've received. So they're somehow living a kind of second-class Christian life, and they haven't yet progressed to uh, chapter 8, which is the kind of the victorious Christian life, as it was often uh, described. Uh, That view has kind of slightly uh, fallen away, but it it certainly uh, used to be very, very popular amongst Christians, uh, and there's still people, I suspect, who would probably take that view. Uh, thirdly, there are some people, some Christians, who think that Paul is simply describing the normal daily struggle, daily experience of a Christian. This is Paul writing, who is a Christian. He's had a good, a new heart, new spirit, 
uh, through trusting the Lord Jesus, through the work of the Spirit inside him. And he's simply describing what is our everyday occurrence. Uh, we can't go into, into details, uh, comparing the two, really. Uh, for what it's worth, my position is the final one, that, that third one. I think Paul here is describing uh, his present experience as a Christian. This is the normal experience of every Christian believer. If you want to find out why I think that, come and grab me afterwards, and I'm, I'm happy to explain it. Uh, Paul explains the struggle of living for Jesus in a fallen world with a fallen body. And just as the law couldn't lead us to God because of sin, so also because of sin, neither can it make us into the people that God wants us to be. Uh, Verse 14 introduces uh, the problem for us. Uh, Paul says, we know that the law is spiritual. Uh, When he calls the law spiritual, what he means is he's saying it was given by God through his Holy Spirit, and it reveals God's character and will. The The law is spiritual. And the problem is, says Paul, that he is unspiritual. Uh, More than that, he is sold as a slave uh, to sin. Even though he is a Christian believer, still he finds himself being resistant to God and uh, in bondage to sin. They're pretty strong words, aren't they? How how can he say that? Uh, Well, he says it because he knows it from his experience, and that's what he tells us uh, from verse 15. Uh, Read with me. He says this. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law uh, is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Day by day, he finds himself struggling inside against sin. Uh, He wants to follow God. And yet he can't. Uh, And yet, even more than that, he finds himself rebelling against God uh, when in his heart he wants to follow God's uh, laws and to be obedient to him. Uh, He remains under the power of sin. Uh, He's unable to do what he wants, and yet he finds himself doing what he knows he shouldn't. How on earth can he explain this? How can he reconcile this with what he told us earlier? This is the same Paul who said to us that we are set free from sin. We saw that a few weeks ago, and Diana was uh, taking us through chapter 6. What's going on? Uh, Yet again, the problem is that even though, yes, he is set free from the power of sin, sin still lives inside him. Uh, Verse 17, he says, As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have a desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. What I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Uh, It's his sinful nature where nothing good lives, that that nature that is opposed to God and to his ways, uh, which constantly tries to attack him and, and to draw him away. Uh, from God's good paths and back into those old ways of rebellion and evil. Uh, He's very clear, isn't he? In his inner being, that is in his new heart, the new heart that he received when he became a Christian, uh, he delights in God's law. He wants to live for God with everything that he has. He wants to please him. Uh, And yet at the same time, in his old body, in his old self, the old man, the old Paul, there's another law he finds at work. It is the law of sin, verse 22. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, 
But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work uh, within my members. Uh, In his old body, there's this other law at work, this law of sin. It's constantly waging a battle against the law of God that Christ has put there, making him captive to obey its rebellious desires. Maybe we can kind of understand it a bit by, by an illustration. Uh, imagine that you have a, a prisoner of war uh, who's been, uh, been captured uh, in battle, uh, has been put in prison uh, in the enemy territory, uh, but he's escaped. He's made it over the border. It's a bit like the Great Escape. He's managed it. He's over the border. And yet, uh, the enemy guards, the pr- enemy, enemy soldiers, keep trying to grab him and take him back into his old prison. Uh, he's free, and yet he keeps being intercepted and dragged back, only to break free again and, uh, and, and go on. Uh, we are free, and we're free decisively because Christ has set us free by his death and his resurrection. And yet, still in our bodies, we do remain captive to this law of sin at work. Uh, I guess all of us, whether we're Christians or not, know something of this, this, this kind of conflict. Um, so, I mean, Sigmund Freud, for example, used to speak of that kind of conflict between our inner self, which is kind of the primal self, full of kind of you know, primal desires, like desires for food and for sex and things like that, and how that conflicted with our kind of, our, our sort of other, uh, other self, which, which is sort of our, our more kind of uh, civilised self, if we want to put it like that. Uh, there was a Roman poet uh, who, who wrote these words. He used to say, I, I see the better things and I approve them, but I choose the worse. Uh, whether we're Christians or not, we, all of us know something of that. We're not the people that we would like uh, to be. And we, we know that kind of conflict. We find ourselves doing things uh, that we know we don't want to do. Now, maybe if we're not a Christian, we might want to get rid of them because we want to live a slightly more fulfilled life, or we think we'd be a bit more happy, or people would like us more if we could get rid of some of these kind of nasty tendencies uh, that we seem to have. Again, it's very different from the attitude of a Christian, isn't it? A, a Christian knows the pain and the struggle of sin, uh, not because uh, we uh, want to be in some way more fulfilled or we want other people to like us, but because we have a new heart and we want to live to please God. And I think here, there's, there's two things here. There's a, there's a comfort here and there's a warning uh, there's a great comfort, isn't there, in reading these words. This is St. Paul, possibly one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, writing of his Christian experience, struggling with sin in his life. Uh, if he could say these words, how much more can we uh, say them as well? Uh, maybe tonight you are someone who particularly is struggling with a sin in your life. Uh, you've been battling with it for, 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 for ages And in your darkest moments, you're tempted to think, I'm not really a Christian. If if I was a real Christian, I wouldn't be battling with this. I I wouldn't have a a life like this. I'd be living some kind of super Christian life. I'd be amazing. Uh, Life would be great. I wouldn't know this battle. I I can't really be be a Christian, can I? Uh, Let me tell you, that is a lie. St. Paul tells us that the daily experience of a Christian is to battle against sin. Uh, Day by day, we will find ourselves fighting it. In fact, in some way, we can even be encouraged. It's a sign of spiritual health. It's the hallmark, if we want to put it like that, of the normal Christian experience. When we fight sin daily, uh, we are experiencing what every Christian believer should feel. 
that tension between uh, our new selves, the law uh, of life that Christ brought, and the law of sin and death that is still at work inside our old bodies. There's a great comfort there, I think. But there's also a warning here, isn't there? I think there's a warning in that uh, we should never say, therefore, we should never be tempted to think that sin has been fully defeated this side of eternity. Uh, sometimes it might be that the Lord in his grace gives us particular deliverance from certain sins. I, I can think of, for example, a uh, church I was at previously. Uh, there was a guy who came to us who was really struggling with alcohol addiction. Uh, he was really in slavery to alcohol. Uh, he became a Christian, uh, and wonderfully, uh, the Lord set him free from that. And yet it'd be wrong for him, I think, to think that that could never, ever, ever possibly come back. Uh, we need to be realistic, and Paul encourages that. Sin is always going to be at work in us. It's always going to be fighting for a place uh, in our lives. Uh, he used to tell me, this, this guy, uh, as an alcoholic, that he was often warned by, his kind of, uh, by, by, by uh, going to the, uh, to the Alcoholics Anonymous against kind of the danger of slipping back into old ways. And I guess it's true not just for alcoholics, but it's true actually for all of us. There's always that temptation, isn't there? And there's always that, that possibility that we can slip back in it. And yet at the same time, there's a great hope, isn't there? Let's get to the end. Paul says, verse 24, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Haven't we all thought that sometimes? Who will rescue us from the mess that we are? He has an answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's only one hope. The law can't make us uh, godly, but Christ can. Christ, who lived in perfect conformity to the law, uh, who died the death that we should have died, who rose again uh, to life, uh, in his death and resurrection has destroyed the power of sin and death in you and me. And he gives us his power by his Holy Spirit to live for him in a way that we never could otherwise. Uh, what the law can never do, Christ does. He took sin's penalty on our behalf. He breaks sin's power in our lives. And we can daily cry with Paul, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, maybe we would want to dejunk our hearts. Praise God, it's Christ who can dejunk our hearts. And one day he will do it fully uh, when he returns again in glory. Let's pray. Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord Jesus, how we praise you for that. You are the answer. You are the answer in a way that the law never was. Yes, the law was good. It shows us our sin. And yet it can't lead us back to our Heavenly Father. And it can't help us defeat sin. And yet you can by your death and your resurrection. And we pray now, uh, especially if we are wrestling with sin and feeling defeated and tempted to despair, Encourage us, we pray. Uh, help us to keep fighting sin by your power at work in us and to long for that day when we should be set free uh, from all that dogs us, to free to be the people uh, that uh, you want us to be, free to live uh, to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.